This message is brought to you by this excellent church. We excel at reshaping people's values and reconciling men to God. You're about to hear peace and preach. Be blessed. And I believe that the Lord is, is here with us today. He's going to touch us in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. I want to teach on something called means of grace. The means of grace. The means of grace. I want to touch on it very quickly. And so that we can, because um, the means of grace is less, is less, um, is less theory, it's more practical. Hallelujah. Means of grace. Now, if you look through the Bible, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, um, you will notice that um, the word, the grace of God from the Old Testament is usually used to describe God's disposition of favor on a person or to a people when God has been kind to you, or when a person is generally kind you know, to a person, you will say, I have found grace in your sight. That means you have favored me. You have shown me a kind disposition. Hallelujah. So from the Old Testament to the New Testament, you see things like, I know I found grace in the sight of the Lord. I find David said, Lord, if I found grace in your sight, and you find servants saying, Lord, if I found grace in your sight, and stuff like that, right? Grace is usually used to the, the general meaning, the general term, the umbrella meaning of the word grace is to describe God's, that, that's God's kind disposition towards a person. Church out together. There are a lot of scriptures, but I don't, we don't have much time, so we're not going to read them. But I want you to write them down, and I'll pray, and I'll beseech you that you should read up this text later to get a fuller understanding. So we'll just read a couple. But let's just start. Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. verse 30. <clears throat> Luke chapter 1 verse 30. And the word grace as used in the New Testament is the word charis. Is the word charis. Is the word charis. Means favor. You know. Look at Luke chapter 1 verse 30. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid Mary, for you have found favor with God. Some translation will say, for you have found grace with God. That favor with God, that grace with God is the word charis. That means that you have found, you know, um, grace with God. That's the word. That kind disposition. That means that God has looked upon you and you have seen that his kind disposition. You know, in Acts chapter 7, in Acts chapter 7, verse 46, we might need to start from an earlier verse. Um, Paul was teaching here and he was saying some things. Let me just start from verse 34. It says, Our ancestors had the tabernacle of the covenant law with them in the wilderness. It had been made as God directed, as God directed Moses, according to the pattern he had seen. Right? After receiving the tabernacle, our ancestors under, under Joshua brought it with them, and they took the land of the nations God drove out of them. It remained in the land until the time of David, who enjoyed God's favor and asked that he might provide the dwelling place for the God of Jacob. You see that? Who enjoyed God's grace? Who enjoyed God's charis? That means he saw that God's kindness disposition. So if you check all the scriptures, check Luke chapter 2, verse 40 and verse 52. 
You see him talking about Jesus, how that the Lord, the Jesus, while in the, in the flesh, when he was growing up, he found favor with God and men. He said he grew and he grew in grace. That means he grew in that courage, in that God's kind disposition. All through the scriptures, you see it in John chapter 1, verse 14 and 16, talking about how that, you know, um, you know, um, 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 how that um, Jesus, when Jesus appeared, he was full of grace and truth. That means he was the embodiment of that kindness and grace that God had towards humanity. Acts chapter 11, verse 23. Please write that down. Acts chapter 11, verse 23. Um, um, you, uh, you, another important thing you will see in all the greetings and in all the benedictions, um, Apostle Paul will consistently say, Grace to you, grace and peace to you. Talking about the fact that God's disposition of grace towards you. So in Romans chapter 1, verse 7, you see it. Romans 1, 7, you see it. Galatians chapter 6, verse 18. Galatians chapter 6, verse 18, the benediction, you see it, you know. Let's, let's open 2 Corinthians chapter 3. This one, let's read this one. 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14, the very last verse, and it's a popular scripture that we all know. May the grace of our Lord Jesus and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. May the grace, it's talking about that God's kind disposition that is with us. Now, it's not as if Apostle Paul does not know that we have the grace of God. He's the same one that wrote in Romans chapter 5 that by faith we have access into this grace wherein we stand. But he's still saying, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. He's the same kind of person that knows that we have received God's message, just like Apostle Paul says. But in the book of Philippians, he will tell us that when Epaphroditus was very sick, that God healed him and he, and he thanked God that God had mercy on him, on him and on, on, on Epaphroditus and on himself also and the church so that their tears were not abundant. <laughs> that reminds me of something I wanted to say. It's like Pastor Shea came with his distant today. They, they picked the hymns to, you know, to, to show that they are deliverance from Christocentric something. Because, listen to me, let me tell you something now. <laughs> listen to me, let me tell you something. The first step to apostasy is taking the grace of God for granted. The first step to apostasy is taking the grace of God for granted. If you want to see someone that is on the track to hell, the first thing they begin to do is to take the grace of God for granted. That's why you will see that the apostles that taught us about the grace of God that came to us even while we were yet dead will be making statements like this, may the grace of God be with you. Paul will be thanking God for his mercy. He'll be saying, thank God God had mercy on me as if he did not know that God already had mercy. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? That is the reason why Apostle John will be telling the believers that see, when you have committed sin, you will be unfaithful to say you are not with sin. Rather, you confess it and pray. Confess your sins one to another. James will tell them, confess your sins one to another. James will even call people that commit, Christians that commit sins, he will say that you are sinners and repent. Do you know why? Because the step first step to losing or rejecting and withdrawing from the grace of God is taking the grace of God for granted. So that is the reason why a man, even having received the grace of God, will still have the posture towards God as if that grace is unmerited. Do you understand that? The consistent understanding that the grace that you have received is not your right, that it is unmerited, is what will make you to continue to pray, pass me not by. We are making that prayer, we are making that statement, not as, knowing, not as people that don't believe that the Lord will pass them by, but as people that understand that they don't merit him not passing, them, not passing by. Do you understand that? Church, do you understand what I'm saying to you? It must always be acutely in your mind that God is unfaithful and he will never go back on his word. However, it is not your rights. 
it is unmerited. This is the reason why having known that we have the forgiveness of sins, we will still confess the sins. That means admit them. Obviously, we can't list everything. But when you know we have done something wrong, we admit that what we have done and we ask for forgiveness. It's not because we don't know that we have forgiveness of sins. It's because we recognize that Ola Jesulanje. Church, you understand what I'm saying to you? So that's why the apostles sound like you say, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. If Apostle Paul's Christian could say, you have the grace of God already, glory to God. Do you understand what's happening? Are you hearing what I'm saying to you now? And this is very, very instructive. You know, there are a couple of scriptures. Colossians chapter 4, verse 6, write down. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 to 14. And this is the reason why Hebrews chapter 4, I know that, you know, you might have heard that the book of Hebrews was written to a mixed multitude or was written to unbelievers. Believers, children of God, please, it was written to Jewish Christians. Is that, is that understood? Is that clear? If it was written to a mixed multitude, they, they, it would have not been in the canon. If there was any book that was not written to the church, the early church would not have put it in the canon. Part of the criteria for putting books in the Bible was its relevance. That is the reason why Hebrews was put in the Bible, even though they could not trace to who exactly wrote it. It was its relevance. It was very relevant to the church. If there was any doubt about the audience of this book, it would not have been... Have you read, have you read First Clement before? You go and read it. You see Rema. Second Clement. Papius' letter. Barnabas' letters. Powerful books. They do not agree to put it in the canon. Because putting the book in the canon to them was like... It was like the highest honor you can give to a book. And they had to be sure that it was from those that Jesus sent to the people that... It was through the mouth of Jesus sent to the people that Jesus sent. Or the people that Jesus had in mind. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Don't forget all that. This thing. It, is the light, it is the height of lack of theological training that will make someone ever say or think that Hebrew origin to a mixed multitude. Terrible. It's a bad idea. Bad idea. With all due respect. That's why the writer of Hebrews was speaking to Christians and say, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. That is the Christian behavior. The confidence is knowing that God's nature cannot change. God will not go back on his word. God's disposition towards us, we have found favor in his sight. So whenever there is a need, let us approach that throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. As a believer, unless you want to warn yourself, one thing you'll have noticed is that there's always a point where there are needs. Am I lying? Don't you usually have times of need? Don't things come... Even in Nigeria, you can't even say you don't have time of need in this country. We are all in time of need. <laughs> right of Hebrews says, come to the throne of grace. Knowing God's disposition, the man sitting on that throne, his disposition towards you is grace. So come to it so that you can receive mercy. Like, a, oh God, Pastor Shayet, God bless you for me. So that you can receive that mercy that has to do with our daily living. The help of God for our daily living. And that's where I'm coming to now. That's the sense of this message. So that you can receive that help of God. That supply of the Spirit. That invisible working of God in our life that helps us when we are in need. And that takes me to what I want to talk about today. Because there's something very terrible that has happened to us. Very terrible, and the more I study, and the more I study, and the more I grow, the more I realize how much something terrible happened to us in this part of the world by reason of the fact that we were cut off from Christian tradition. Hi, the means of grace. Now, I've just told you, just follow. 
You will see what I mean now. The means of grace, God has, we, we see that grace is about God's disposition towards us, that, that, guide, that God's kind disposition, that God's favorable disposition that we have all received. Now, when you look into the New Testament and you cone it down, you will notice two ways that the apostle or two ways, um, let me use two ways, I don't want say two dimensions, I'll just confuse you, right? Two ways in which that word grace is used to refer to particular things, particular workings or particular ways that God shows that his kind dispensation. One of the ways, which is the most common that you see in the New Testament is that grace is used to refer to salvation, what we received in Christ. you understand that? This one, I don't want to go on it, but you know, John chapter 1 verse 17, right? This one, even if you follow that chronologically, John 1 17, Acts 13 14, um, Acts 13 43. Please write this down so you can also study it. John 1 17, Acts 13 14, um, Acts 14 verse 3, Acts 15 verse 11, Acts 20 verse 24, Romans chapter 3 verse 24. Let's just open that one since that is the national anthem in the Bible for the grace of God. Romans chapter 3 from verse 23 says, For all have sinned and have come short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Do you understand that? So you see the grace of God being used often to remain redemption, salvation, the way God has saved us of our sins. Romans chapter 5, the entire Romans chapter 6, Galatians chapter 1 verse 6, Galatians chapter 2 verse 21, Titus chapter 2 verse 11, talk about the grace of God that saved all men has appeared unto us. Grace is often used, you know, in the New Testament to refer to salvation because that is an expression. When God has been kind to you, dead people in their sins, depraved people, people. The primary way that he used to demonstrate that his kindness is what? To save you. Salvation. Are we together? But there's another way that the grace of God is usually used in the New Testament. It's, um, it's a little bit um, 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 difficult, difficult to pin it down to one word, but one word I can use to describe it is supernatural ability. Grace is used to describe not you know, the grace of God apart from it being um, salvation, it's also used to describe a working of God in our lives where supernatural ability, supernatural supply is given for us to be able to do the things that we are meant to do. So for us to be able to fulfill God's purpose for our lives, God has a will for us. There's a Christian life. There's a supernatural Christian life that's supposed to overcome this world that we're supposed to have. There's a faith that we have that is above the things of this world that is unshakable. That ability to stay persuaded and convicted in our faith all through. The ability to make things happen and do things in accordance with our Christian life. That supply, that invisible working of God, like a supernatural ability. Grace is also used to describe it. Hallelujah. Look at Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. You're about to get what I mean. You begin you, you to understand what I mean by if the service was done to us. And I want our generation to get it back. Acts chapter 4 verse 33. It says, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. Do you see that? Do you see that? Do you see the way they use the word grace? It means that grace was helping them to do the work of the ministry powerfully. The grace of God was at work in them to testify and to show that the gospel is true. So this is not just the grace of God talking about being saved now. He's not talking about the supply of God's ability to do his purpose, to do his will. Church, are we together? No, are you getting what I'm saying? Hmm. 
Look at chapter 6 of Acts. Chapter 6 of Acts. Verse 8. Look at the way it describes Stephen. He said, Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among people, among the people. You see that? So the ability to do great signs among um, the, the people, he says it was, it was the grace of God. He was full of God's grace and power. That means when the grace of God, when it's described in this term, that the grace of God coming, when God shows you his kind disposition and gives you power and ability to do his will for your life, he helps you. <laughs> Hi, I pity people that say coming to the throne of grace is for unbelievers. Hi, yeah, yeah, yeah. You are in need. You say, um, I, I, I have grace already. Better come to the throne of grace. Romans chapter 1. Look at verse 5. It says, Through him we have received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes through faith for his name's sake. So Paul is describing his calling, his ministry, and the ability to call Gentiles to the grace of God. He says, We receive that grace. We receive the grace of God to do it. We receive the grace of God to do that ministry. We see this a lot, you know, all through the scripture. So, write Romans chapter 12. Let me read this one. Let's read this one. This one is good. Romans chapter 12. Look at verse 3. Romans chapter 12. Verse 3. It says, For the, by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, see, I received grace. I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself sober with, with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each one of you. Let's jump to verse 6 because of time. He says, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. Do you see that? We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. So there's a grace of God to make things happen. That's why in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10, there are so many scriptures on this. You know, if you just search, you will see it. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10. Look at what Apostle Paul says. He says it is, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. So you see that. So the grace of God enabled him to walk harder. Supernatural ability. When the grace of God comes upon a man, it is what? Supernatural ability. Galatians chapter 2 verse 9. Oh, there are so many. I can't, let me not, you know, let me not take um, all the time. Oh, Galatians chapter 2 verse 9. James, look at what he says. He says, James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. When they recognized the grace given to me, they agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they, and, and they to, the, to the circumcised. They went to argue over doctrinal matter. By the time Paul demonstrated that old kini, na grace of God will give us, they recognized the grace and gave them the right hand of fellowship. Read um, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7 to 8. Apostle Paul talking about the grace of God that was given to him so that he can be a minister of the ministry of Christ that was hidden before time began. James chapter 4, verse 6. You see, the grace of God is an ability. Try it out together. Now, this is the very interesting thing that you need to know about the grace of God. This grace of God that we receive in times of need. This is something very interesting that you need to know about the grace of God that we receive in time of need. Rather of Hebrews explains something to us. He's trying to explain something that the apostles also explained to us. That when times of need comes up, there is a need to supply grace. 
whether it is grace for strengthening your convictions, whether it is grace for, look at the way the grace, the grace in terms of supernatural ability was described in different ways. In one place it was power, in one place it was ability to work hard, in one place it was ability to preach the gospel, in one place every way, ability, your, your, you know, strengthening of your faith. That grace is just that, I love the way John Wesley put it, he says, it is that invisible working of God in our life. You will just find that there's a time of need and you come to the throne of grace and there's a supply and you don't know how but all of a sudden you are able to do what you are meant to do. Sometimes you calm down with depression because of the way things are happening around you. Your soul is cast down within you and then the grace of God is supplied and supernatural joy comes. Supernatural joy just comes. It is the same grace that comes in healing. Sometimes your body is sick and that power of God is supplied and you receive the grace of God and you are healed. So shall we together? Sometimes your faith is weak. You feel like as if you're about to give up and you're having questions and you're not even sure whether God is faithful and somehow the grace of God comes and comforts you and you just know that God is in control. This is now the interesting thing about it. Hmm? God knowing the kind of people we are and the battle that we are going to struggle with with our mortal flesh till we leave this earth, he did something in his kindness to us. Another thing that he did though is he gave us means of grace. This is what the church has always taught for 2,000 years. It's a travesty. It is a travesty that we have not been teaching it. He gave us something, he gave us some things called means of grace. What are means of grace? There are ways by which God awakens our awareness. There are ways by which God awakens our awareness so that we can know that grace is available. Because if you are not aware, you cannot present yourself to it. That's why Apostle Paul wanted to teach the Corinthians. The Corinthians were rich. The Corinth, Corinth was a very, very rich country. And the Christians there, by default, will also be what? Rich. You understand? You know, if you save Elon Musk, your church is going to hammer. Do you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> So the Corinthian church was a rich, um, the, the, the church of Corinth was a rich church because the church, Corinth was a rich place. But Philippi, the, the capital of Macedon, right, was a very, very poor country because they were not even really accepted in the Greek commonwealth and they were in the, you know, they were in the western, west, northwestern most part of the entire Greek um, area that we call and everything. So they were a very poor, they were a very, very poor um, place. But do you know what Apostle Paul was saying to the Corinthians when he wanted to encourage them? He says, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant of the grace of God that was given to the Macedonian church. So that despite their, their deep poverty, their generosity, what he was able to abound into giving. So that was a grace of God. That was a supernatural ability that God communicated to the Macedonian church, the church in Philippi, that, was, that they were able to give. So how will you help the Corinthian church to be able to grow? By the time I go to 1 Corinthians 9, he now says that I pray that you also will excel in this grace. How do you help that church to excel? By making them first of all to know it. So I do not want you to be ignorant. You cannot present yourself for a grace. You cannot present yourself to the throne of grace when you don't even know there's a throne of grace. That's why I said this Christocentric thing of saying there's no throne of grace for you. It's a problem. <laughs> Let me say it like this. Have you ever wondered why the denomination, they don't have charismatics like us, they don't fall under the anointing? They don't do all those things. There are one billion of them for the past 1,500 years. No, sorry, for the past 1,000 years. Since they became a separate denomination, 1,000 years. There are over one billion of them. 
They don't read their Bible. You understand what I'm saying? Because they're not so that scriptural. They don't read their Bible. It's what Papa says in Rome that everybody takes care of. One billion strong. While the people are shouting here, apostasy, kinikok, kinikondos, you will see now. God has actually given us streams and means by which that invisible working of grace can be supplied to us to strengthen our mind. When I look through orthodoxy and what all the fathers said, you know, from Tertullian down, Athanasius, um, Origin, Athanasius, Augustine, Aquinas, and all of them, they keep saying this thing, that the way this grace works in our life, down, 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 down to Papa's Pro recently, or down Wesley, everybody, all of them keep saying this thing about the means of grace. They say, we don't know exactly how this thing works. What we just know is that when we participate in it, the grace of God is supplied. Consistently, you keep hearing it. Go and check. Consistently, they say, we don't know exactly how God uses these things, but what we know is that when we participate in them, grace is supplied. Strength and conviction is strengthened. Persuasion is deepened. We feel God's presence more. We are more aware that God is with us. God doesn't feel far from our hearts, but he feels with us. These ways are ways and gifts that God has given us by which we become aware of the grace of God and by which we present ourselves for it. One of the very important ones that we're almost losing track of is the communion. Every time I read into it, the more I study into it, the more I discover. This thing is a big deal. What happened to us? Ha! Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. From verse 19. My <laughs> one, a minister said, with all due respect again, minister said, eh, communion is pointless. Because they are trying to use it to remember someone because the essence of communion is to remember someone that is dead. It's to remember somebody. But it's only people that are dead that you need to do remembrance for. But since he's alive, <laughs> you don't need to do remembrance of him. Just watch. Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 22 and from verse 19 says, And he took the bread and he gave thanks. This was the night before he was, this night he was betrayed, just before they came, before he went to get some money and, and, you know, they took him. This was the night he was betrayed. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them. He said, ha, this was in course five between Luther and everybody. He says, this is my body. He didn't say, this looks like my body. He didn't say, this represents my body. He says, this is my body. How is it, how did, um, um, Luther was saying, how was he saying in, in Latin in their argument? Yes, I'll, I'll, I'll get it Latin and because he was shouting, Can they call corpus meal? This is my body. What Jesus said is, This is my body because there was a dispute about it. Is he representing his body? Is he not really his body? Can call, call? Luther was telling them, He said, This is my body. Jesus does not mix words when he's saying something, he knows what he's saying. He looks at the end and says what he's saying from the beginning, he's not confused. He says, this is my body. Given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is where, you know, that teacher said, you are using to remember someone. You will see now what he actually means. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. 
but the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. Hallelujah. Church, do you see, verse 20? Do you see that? He says, this cup, look at verse 20, he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So he said, the bread is my body. The cup is the new covenant. The bread is my body. The cup is my new covenant. So, look at what Paul now says. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. The bread is my body. The cup is the new covenant. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 15. Sound says, I speak to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I see. It's not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ. The word participation there is the word koinonia, fellowship. That means when we take of the blood of the cup when we take that cup we are fellowshipping with the blood of Christ he now says and it's not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ do you see that do you see that again so obviously Paul did not interpret it the way our 21st century century people interpreted it Jesus said it is my body it is the new covenant. Paul says when you take the cup, we are participating in the blood of Christ. And we take the bread, we are participating in the body of Christ. And that's why it now says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Go to chapter 11. Verse 23. He now says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. So Paul received this from the Lord. He says, Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You will see what remembrance of me means now. In the same way, after supper, he took the blood, the cup, saying, the cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The word proclaim there is the word katagelo. It means to declare. It means to celebrate. It means to reenact. So what we do, what we are remembering is not a person that is dead. We are remembering someone who is alive and all that he has done. We are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. That means we are celebrating and participating in something so that we can be aware of what that person did and what that person, what that, what that, what that person did affords us, what it brings to us. That's why we are katageloing the Lord's death until he comes. Let me tell you what that means. That means that that means that there's a feeling you have that we Christians generally have that the apostles that saw Jesus physically there's something they touched that we did not touch that we cannot touch. It's been 2,000 years that Jesus has died. There are some things they experienced having seen Jesus physically and touching him that we don't have access to. What I'm telling you now is that God has made a way by which that feeling of not having something that they have is taken care of. That means that every time the same way the apostles participated in his body the night he died is the same way the Lord has given us a means to participate and be aware that Jesus died.
So we proclaim the Lord's death when we participate in the Eucharist. See, the apostles were so strong, they were so sure that grace is supplied. Grace is supplied to, to the church when they participate in the Lord's table that Paul will even say that the reason why people are falling sick and are dying in the local church is because they were not participating in it worthily. Ah, the early church was big on means of grace. I don't know how we lost that in, you know, in this our side. Because it's still in orthodoxy. It's still in the reformation. It's we Pentecostal people, right? You know what I'm saying? People that came from that stream. The church is big on means of grace. That's what happened in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 when Apostle Paul was excommunicating a member from the church. They believed so much as, as evidenced by what the Lord did was that there are certain ways that God has given us for us to be aware of his power. That when you rob yourself of it, you will be deficient somehow. You will lose something. So that's why when Apostle Paul was saying that if we excommunicate you from the church, we have committed you to Satan, for Satan to deal with you. They were shocked that if you are not in church, if church is not covering you, Satan will deal with you. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Do you understand what I'm saying here? This is what people are just doing now, saying casually on Twitter. And you think you are okay. That's why Satan is dealing with you. You know that song that we are complaining about. I will pray so Satan will not make mess of me. Listen to me. Let me give you my own remix. You better come to church. Better come to church. If you don't come to church, Satan will make a mess of you. Because that's what literally 1 Corinthians chapter 5 is about. If we send you away from church, Satan will make a mess of you. Because church is a means by which the grace of God is supplied. It is not your job to turn your back on the means of grace that God has supplied. Because God in his wisdom knows what needs you will have and how those means of grace will supply to those needs. It is not you that will tell God the means of grace he has supplied. Your job is to present yourself for all of them. And that's why you might not know exactly how God is doing it. But you will always notice the faith and persuasion of those who submit themselves to it. Did you hear what I just said now? So that's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 15 and 16, I just read. He says, when we take his blood, when we take his body, sorry, when we take the bread, we are participating in his body. When we take the cup, we are participating in his blood. We are fellowshipping with it. We are fellowshipping with it. The word fellowship there is that we are having a communion. That's where the word communion comes from. We are participating in it. We are participating in his body. We are participating in his blood. That's why another means of grace that God gave us is actually singing hymns and spiritual songs. This one, you'll be familiar with it. You know, the book of Acts chapter 13, the Bible tells us from verse 1 verse 3 that in that town, teachers and prophets were singing and worshipping God and the Holy Spirit spoke. We talk about this one a lot. This is one of our common scriptures in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. We know this one, we'll talk about it a lot. It says, do not be drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your hearts to the Lord. You know, it's very ridiculous for someone to say, we have God's word. We can be filled with the Spirit by reading God's word. You know, that's how ridiculous it will sound. That we have God's word. Let's just read our Bible. What do we need to sing for? 
It's people that say we don't need to go to church. God is everywhere. I have my Bible. I can read my Bible. I pity you. This spirit of, you know, we had a very interesting conversation yesterday. This spirit of subjecting all of God's things to the rationality of a fickle man. Let me not go into all that. Let me not just before this day, Pastor Sam has come again. Listen to me. When God has given us means of grace, knowing the kind of people that we are, we present ourselves to them. That is the reason why people that are saved will go and get baptized. Because the baptism is an awareness of what Jesus did. It's an identification with what he did. Church, I get what I'm saying to you. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? So God has given us means of grace. That's why believers have taken the Eucharist. That's why we participate in his body and we participate in the cup. Because it's an awareness that just the way he died that night before he was betrayed, he took up that cup and he said, this body is about to be broken and I'm about to do something for humanity. And then you realize that what Jesus did that night is now available to me. Jesus is here. The same way Jesus stood before the apostles and broke it is the same way Jesus is here. Jesus is here. That means of grace is a way of awakening your consciousness. Bringing your awareness that God is here so that you can present yourself. This is the reason why people in the Corinthian church were not doing it properly and they were falling sick. It is possible that grace is being supplied to heal the sick, but men don't present themselves because they are taking it unworthily. I get what I'm saying to you. This is why we sing spiritual songs. It's not as if God's word is not enough, but we'll sing them again in melody. Because hymns and spiritual songs are a means by which God awakens our consciousness. When we sing that there's no one like unto you, and all the songs that Pastor Shea and the choir and the worship team are going to lead us in this morning, as we sing those songs with meaning, as we sing those hymns, that's why you will notice that sometimes you come to church and you're not feeling like as if church is normal tradition, and then they just take a hymn and begin to sing, and all of a sudden you just realize that, ah, God is great. When you're coming to church and you've just done some nonsense and you're feeling careless, like as if I've done, no, I've not done anyhow, I've no, I don't care. You're taking the grace of God for granted and you're already coming. By the time you hear, pass me not by, oh gentle Savior. You understand what I'm saying? By the time you hear that it is only by your grace that I survive. Your mind is awakened. You become aware. You approach the throne of grace and you receive help in time of your need. God has given us means by which we may know that his grace is with us. So that's what Carry Sundays are about. That's why we take the Eucharist as the church has always done. That's why we sing hymns and spiritual songs. And that is the reason why we take advantage of everything that Christ has given to us. Today I've been led that you know sometime when we are singing the, the the leaders of the church the elders of the church the, the senior people in the church myself my uh, and pastor Shea will come out and we'll pray together with some people the prayer of faith while we sing so those that those that want us to pray together you have something that's bothering you we'll pray together on it these are the ways that will supply grace this is the reason why the means of grace are the things that prevent you from having a dead christianity Do you understand what i'm telling you a Christianity where God is not with you. A Christianity where you have faith but God is far. Where God is not real. 
where the grace of God is not real, where God is not in your consciousness. The means of grace are ways that God uses us, uses to save us from that kind of dead Christianity. Are ways by which God uses it to save us from that kind of dead Christianity. Listen to me. Christianity has an intellectual component, but it also has a heart component. There is a mind component and there is a heart component. There is a rigorous part in the intellectual part that makes rational sense. But there is also a part of God touching your heart in a way that reason cannot touch. That's where the means of grace supply. That's the reason why all of that, our church fathers and teachers and doctors keep saying we don't know exactly how it happens. But we know that God is working invisibly through these things in our lives. How does laying of hands communicate grace to you? Sure, you know laying of hands is a, is a means of grace. How? Do you see something passing? Is grace not supplied? So there's a head part where you know historically that Jesus died. But there's a heart part that is only the supernatural that can touch. Are we together, church? Please, let's, let's. There's a supply of the grace of God for your needs. Whatever your needs are, because our God is faithful, we are confident and we know that there's a supply. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Um, um, I just have this picture, I have this exhortation for someone, his sisters. Um, um, you, 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 you perceive that it's time for you to enter into a godly relationship that will lead to marriage. Your desire is not wrong. Your desire is not carnal. It's actually the will of God for you. And I just want to encourage you with this word that the Lord is sending you someone shortly in the name of Jesus. Be encouraged. Don't let that get to you. Be encouraged. Keep up your joy. Keep up your joy. Keep up your joy. The Lord is sending you someone in the name of Jesus. The Lord is sending you someone in the name of Jesus. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope you were blessed. For more updates on our programs and audio messages, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at This Excellent Church. God bless you.